Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Andy Crowder, Chief Information and Analytics Officer at Atrium Health. In this segment, Crowder talks about the careful balance required to innovate without compromising key pillars, how his team has been able to leverage technology to connect families during the pandemic, and what has surprised him most during his tenure with Atrium Health. In working with uh, Dr. Shrestha, I'm sure that that's really interesting. Now, he's somebody I've heard speak and just seems really dynamic, but having him in that innovation spot, it seems like that has to be an interesting dynamic between the chief information officer and someone in that role. So can you speak to kind of how that's been? Yeah, so it's interesting because there's a careful balance between, and Razu will say, not chasing all of the shiny things. Innovation and doing it right oftentimes is about picking the right problems of consequences or future states or true north that you want to go after. Rasu also brought in um, Todd Dunn, who did the innovation activities for Intermountain. And so he's been a great new member to the team. But transformation does not go without stress and difficulties or necessary tension. But when we leverage those resources from an innovation and a partnerships point of view, we do truly get to a more significant outcome. Is this a, a vendor or is this a partner that we're going to go do something with? We're going to leverage the solution. We're going to innovate and we're going to make investments in that space. And so the, the burden is you end up looking at a hundred things to pick the two to three that you're going to do a year. So that pace can yeah. be difficult, but at the end of the year, you look back and you go without this alignment, without some of these things, you'd never have the opportunity to capitalize on it. So it's a difficult balance to leverage your enterprise standards, stay within the purview of your contracting, your governance structures, and then still do innovation. And I don't know that anybody's figured it out perfect, but we're, we're giving it one hell of a shot, that's for sure. Right. Right. And, and another one of the things you mentioned that, that I wanted to get into a little bit more was analytics, because that's part of your title. So how, I mean, aside from the obvious, how has that been different from other CIO roles, just having that as part of it? Um, you know, what's interesting for me is it's deliberate in the title. Craig Richardsville was here before um, and did some phenomenal work. And I think for him and the other leaders, the call out that it's not just about the transactional systems, it's about knowledge and information and doing something significant with the data. And the role that I have in data and analytics here is actually not much different than what I had at Scripps. Matter of fact, the similarities are uh, eerie. And even when I was at at Florida Hospital, but I do think that that title difference is an obligation for us to do something different than just being in the report writing business and being about Mm -hmm. deep insights and solutions and working across the organization in a much broader way. And that's an accountability and it's referenced in the title. It won't be good enough for me to just keep the transactional systems working or give these new digital capabilities if we don't make better decisions and have better insights. And so one of the really key important governance structures is our data and analytics steering committee, which is sets priority and strategy for the broader Atrium Health Organization. Uh, Dr. Shrestha co-chairs that with chief legal counsel Uh, Some may look at that and go, that's a little bit odd. But if you think about how you're going to leverage data differently across the enterprise, those are different types of relationships with your partners um, and your providers. Right. Right. And and it gets into the meat of all this or what providers and clinicians really want to get to. And that's being able to utilize all the data in all these amazing ways. 
Yeah, you know, I was so proud of Atrium Health over COVID. Dr. Andy McWilliams and Dr. Turk and Dr. Yanka Taylor in our Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation came together with a lot of predictive analytics that were able to forecast what infection rate would be, what spread would be, impact to beds. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I mean, there's no perfect model, but it was on our data and not somebody else's data. So we are able to marry the rich clinical data that we had in addition to what we were getting from a testing perspective. And that gave us the capability to actually do something in the Charlotte market that had not been done prior to COVID. And that was in the areas of health disparities in our Black and African-American and Hispanics. Due to that hotspotting capability and the insights we had, we were actually able to intervene and close that gap from a disparities point of view when we had very significant outcomes that were very different in other places. That's just one example, but it really did put the IAS, the, the predictive analytics, the machine learning and some of the AI to the forefront. And it was, as Gene Woods, he likes to call things bright spots. And this was a bright spot for our organization. Our data scientists and teams were at the table with Gene and others advising the county and the state and others on exactly what needed to be done. It was very fast paced. <laughs> there was no doubt where IS had come from and where they were at now in this digital industry and arena that we're in. Oh, yeah, sure. It, that's got to be pretty powerful. Um, we know the ISIT, it's not always that clear or obvious sometimes just to see the impact of the work they're doing. That's a really uh, a powerful thing. It was, you know, at the beginning of almost all of our meetings, we do a, a connect to purpose and we had so many rich connect to purposes. And if we talk to our clinicians and our informatics leaders who were ad hoc designing technologies and solutions and rolling them out in 24 to 48 hours, they look at those times and those events as the most meaningful work of their entire career. And these are people that have been at this for 30 plus years. And I think that's a pretty profound statement. We also had the opportunity, um, Becky Fox, our CNIO, and Maureen Swick. Human touch and connection are so important. And during the early days of COVID, uh, people couldn't come into the hospital to see their patients and families and loved ones. And so for people that were at the end of life, they would have been isolated from their family. We did tablets and we did baby monitors and we did a whole host of things. And some of the stories that came out of that were significant. I'll touch on one. Um, Becky and the clinical team launched a connection nurse program where nurses that were expecting that were beyond their time frame of being able to do the clinical job, caring for patients, Mm -hmm. actually come and leverage technology from our virtual solutions to connect patients and loved ones and family to make sure they traverse the technology. Um, There were times when you would hear family members praying with one another, singing, uh, celebrating their birthdays and the difference that it made in those patients. You could see the expression on their face change immediately when they got the connection restored, which had been separated. Uh, there was one story of, yeah. a, of a couple in their late 80s um, that had not been separated from one another. They hadn't gone a day for almost 40 years of not being able to see one another. And just due to some of the logistics of the hospital, they couldn't be in the same room. And something as simple as a $200 baby monitor lowered the anxiety, improved the care. Both of them did finally go home, but the ability to touch people's lives during this time has been significant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. One of the other notes I had seen um, just in relation to the growth of the organization was to have more of a, a focus on behavioral health through telemedicine. 
that's huge because, you know, I don't have to tell you, behavioral health just hasn't seen the technology as much. And it seems like this is just a tremendous opportunity to reach more yeah. patients. Yeah. Atrium Health, Martha Wyckoff actually was recognized as a national leader in her work with behavioral health. And we have had a virtual behavioral health program at Atrium Health for a long time. Uh, and there's an assessment protocol and when a primary care doctor or otherwise is in a visit and sees indicators, they're able to virtually connect in a behavioral health specialist to help intervene. And it's not just about the physical care, it is about the whole person care. And so it was significant during the early days. And, you know, I think it's going to be one of the most significant things that we have to focus on the longer that this pandemic goes on. I, I agree with you. I think behavioral health is going to be the component that's going to require the most attention and focus. Okay. And then you touched a little bit before on leadership and, and how communications and things have changed as people move remotely, but just wanted to, to talk a little bit more about it and how to uh, make sure that, that your team, that they're getting what they need in times that are just really chaotic and uncertain. You know, I can speak to the experience that I've had with my direct teammates and then the, the conversation and the stories that have been shared with other leaders. You know, we very aggressively moved a large body of individuals remote. Um, and fortunately, we had laid the foundation with teams and many of our other collaborative technologies. You know, we had our rollout schedule of when we thought we were going to make the transition to teams. It was going to be much longer. Uh, when we went remote, it was actually accelerated. It was very significant. And we've leveraged two surveys that have gone out to the employees um, that have been moved remote. And, you know, they did prioritize the areas where they needed help, either with technology, uh, with equipment, uh, with wanting to leverage the tools differently. They needed support in managing virtual teams. And so our HR education partners um, created content very quickly to scale up. Um, we've done webinars. You know, there are virtual happy hours. I do think it is about going on camera as much as you can, finding ways to connect with teammates where conversations would have occurred ad hoc. What's interesting is the meetings that used to take an hour now take 22 minutes, but don't forego the eight to 10 minutes of transition time. Some of the new tools actually show, it was interesting because um, in Teams and with O365, there's a little tracker that lets you know how you're doing and where you're spending your time. We do get the updates that say, you know, you haven't had any transition time. You might want to slow that down some. And so putting some guardrails and some guidance to the teammates on how they can not just survive, but thrive in that space. Okay. So you knew coming into this role that there was going to be a lot going on, but, you know, nobody could have predicted how, uh, <laughs> this how is the first year would have gone. <laughs> yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, it really was the right move and that it's, uh, you know, it's been a good experience so far. Yeah, you know, I've had, I've been so fortunate to be with some phenomenal organizations. I had such a, you know, great experiential learning journey at every one of those organizations that I, you know, I did, I do believe prepared me for this opportunity really well and for our family. But it's felt like, you know, many of our executive leadership go, I can't believe you've only been here a year. It feels like you've been part of the team for a long time. And I do think that it's a matter of, you know, Gene Woods and other senior leaders most of us are new in those roles in the past two to three years. And so we've got an energy and a passion for the future. And um, what I've noticed at Atrium, and some people would find this hard to believe, it's been easier to move 
and accelerate items here than any other organization. And I've been at some wonderful organizations, but the speed to execution and the trust and collaboration of the leadership team is second to none. Gene says he'd put this team up against anybody else in the nation, and I'd agree with him. He's done a phenomenal job of picking his talent. Yeah, and has it been on the whole like you would have expected, or are there things that have really surprised you? Although you did say that you know the organization has done really well with Epic, but is there anything else that has kind of surprised you about the role or the organization? No, you know, what was interesting is the interview process was on both sides, very, very uh, robust. And so I think (laughs) both parties got the opportunity to really have the second and third iteration of conversations and questions. Um, I think the recruiting Mm -hmm. firm did a phenomenal job of sizing it up. And so I haven't really been surprised. The only thing that was surprising to me is how quickly and easily, if you think about these digital acceleration strategies, you know, we put that work together. It was in less than four months, our entire governance process redesign, the integration with our groups and how quickly they made decisions. You would have thought, you may think that you get into a larger organization, the bureaucracy and some of the things that you have to go through would be more difficult. I found it not to be at all. That was the biggest surprise that we would take forward a strategy, align our stakeholders And they'd go, yep, we buy it, we're ready to go, and then execute that quickly. That was the most surprising part for me. I expected it to be more cumbersome, and it wasn't at all. And on the whole, for your family, it's been a good adjustment. You said your your wife has family nearby, so that that always helps, but like, it's been a good move. Yeah, it's been a great move. Um, Rachel and I have been married um, almost 11 years. Catherine's nine years old. She's a fourth grader. Um, We live in the southern tip of uh, Lake Norman, Cornelius area. She goes to a great private school. It's just, you know, really nurtures learners um, and a family. So we couldn't be more excited. Yeah. Oh, that's great. My kids are eight. I have uh, two eight-year-olds. So it's like right around that. Yeah, I remember you had twins. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So interesting times during the pandemic. But all right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I know you have so much going on, so I, I really appreciate it and uh, always enjoy uh, getting to chat with you. Yeah, Kate, it was great to hear your voice again. All the best. Let me know if I can be of help in anything else. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.